It's a stormy sea, and the journey has taken nearly a month. Swedenborg anticipates his return to Stockholm with no little trepidation. While in London, he underwent intense interchanges that opened him to continuous conversation with spirits and angels. But on this boat, in this storm, something is different. The spirits have gone silent. Was it all just fantasy? Here we are inside Off the Left Eye. Stick around for my exclusive interview with Curtis Childs, director of Off the Left Eye, where we discuss the stages of spiritual awakening. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, charts the diverse styles within those works. And as an extra treat, we come ashore in Stockholm, 1745, to explore where Swedenborg was and what was up with his spiritual communication this week in history. Hey, Curtis, welcome. Hello, Chelsea. Good to be back. Yes, it is always great to talk to you here inside Off the Left Eye. And this past week, we were continuing our exploration of spiritual awakenings. And uh, listeners maybe have already watched the show, but if not, you can go check it out on our YouTube channel. And that show is The Signs of a Spiritual Awakening Explained. Yes. And yes. And so... um, Again, as usual, we have our Swedenborg and Life podcast channel. If you want to just have the audio version of our shows, uh, you can listen there. Um, but of course, they exist on YouTube. And and so, yeah, the signs of a spiritual awakening explained. And so this week, we're going to give you a little bit of an inside scoop about what it was like writing this show. And, um, you know, I remember, Curtis, you and I, we were, you know, figuring out, well, what do we want what do we want to say about a spiritual awakening? Um, and and then I was tasked with looking for, you know, something about the signs, you know, because people are wanting to know, well, what are the signs of a spiritual awakening? Right. And, um, and when I was doing that research, it was like what I just found just searching what other people were saying about the signs of a spiritual awakening was that there just are a lot of them out there, you know, that people, <laughs> like yeah. everybody... Everybody who's been through a spiritual awakening wants to tell everybody else, here's the signs that you can watch out for. It's a hot topic. Yeah. And what I would want to do is really understand, well, why are those the signs of a spiritual awakening? You know, why are the signs what they are? And and can Swedenborg give us anything about that? Well, and isn't that, I think it's a great angle. And isn't that one of the irreplaceable value adds that Swedenborg has is that there's a lot of people who have had spiritual experiences of all kinds and they can tell you about them. But Swedenborg, because of the comprehensive 10,000 foot 30 year view that he had (laughs) can give you the reasons why you're having those signs and how they fit into a greater framework. It's like, yeah, we can describe how all these balls are bouncing, but Swedenborg can give you the physics that will let you predict the next ball bounce. Which really is so amazing. And like you use that word framework. And that's one that I keep coming back to in our work, you know, creating content for Off the Left Eye is that it is Swedenborg offers this spiritual framework for understanding our life. And in such a deeply rich and satisfying way, because it's not just, uh, you know, flu-flu or something. Like, it gets even more complex as you go into it. You know, just really interesting stuff. Well, yeah, and it seems like it once you really sit with it and 
take time to experience the nature of it, it does seem like, oh, this could have come out of the same pen that wrote the laws of the physical world. Right. But it has that same vibe to it, that, yeah, that same complexity and that same mix of the experiential and the sort of um, static or, or repeating elements. And when right. you say as a framework for understanding our life, not just the spiritual experience types, everything, the way right. you think on a daily basis, why the world is like it is, the ins and outs of the human experience, eventually Swedenborg's framework puts that together in this marvelous way. So yeah, for this show, we, I ended up collecting like a hundred signs and that people had listed on a number of different sort of the top uh, search results on Google and, and analyzed them to figure out like, do they fall into certain categories, which they certainly did. And so I was sort of broadly studying like, well, what are the categories of these signs? And all of these signs really fit into uh, what Swedenborg describes as our process of regeneration. Like they are requisite you know phases or you you talk about like the stages of grief or something but in the same way that they're not necessarily chronological it's you know you experience all the different ones and so there's stages to our process of regeneration and sure enough these signs all fit within these different categories and so that's that's this last week and at this point so what our topic that's coming up for this upcoming week is sort of a new genre, you could say, but we are going to be exploring on Monday. The Monday night show is called Spirits Cause Anxiety. And this was one that was your, uh, a main one that you wrote, right, Curtis? Yeah, and I, I wanted to write it because to start to, we're talking about this framework and this overall picture that Swedenborg gives and how it explains your life. Have you ever ever had really aggressive pounding anxiety you just understand the unproductive nature of it it leaves you with a lot of questions and the explanations that that you're getting from non-swedenborg sources there's some satisfaction in those but there's just a lot of big holes it doesn't add up Mm -hmm. so for me swedenborg's description of again the physical and spiritual world being joined at every little exactly particle this this is the one of the best tools that I've ever gotten from Swedenborg. So I was very excited to, you know, we've covered it many times in different ways, but excited to lay it out again and, and with a fresh perspective. Right. Yeah. The phenomenon of anxiety, you know, is itself a good focal point for uh, being able to really wonder about the way that the physical world influences it, you know, body chemistry. I've been really interested to learn stuff about just like, you know, our nervous system and what sort of puts it in this hyper, you know, uh, stimulated state that can make it easier to end up in anxious states. But then, but it really fills it out to bring in the spiritual side of it um, and understanding spiritual influence and sort of the way that spirits can work in, you know, the way that the spiritual and the physical work together um, to give us our conscious experience. And, and that, that awareness isn't sort of like, oh no, well, I'm really, you know, adult, like, gonna you know it's gonna be too much for me or something but it's like no it's really that that ends up being so empowering it's good it makes it easier it's it's a weight lifted off your shoulders that's how i find it anyway it's it's something that it's just like if you're struggling with a health condition and you're trying all these things and you're getting some progress but then you find out oh i'm low on potassium 
and then suddenly you're making progress. Yes. That is what it feels like. It's not saying that that's the only factor and it's not saying that it's some new burden. It's just saying, ah, we've identified an angle and the very knowledge that the spiritual, the hell is trying to pull stuff over on you and they take advantage of your weakness, uh, even even if it's not like a directly spirits know everything you're thinking, just the, na- the nature of the interaction between hell and heaven in our minds all the time. You are not your thoughts. It man, it makes it better. I I, yes. I never feel overwhelmed or intimidated by it. I just feel like, oh, that's that's the missing piece. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so for anyone listening to come along on this, you know, to explore this topic, you can watch. Uh, Monday at all of our usual times, which is noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, the Swedenborgian Life Show on Monday, and then a follow-up news from heaven on Wednesday, and then get your questions answered in our Swedenborg Live Show on Friday. And of course, you can find us on Facebook um, or follow us on social media and get our inspiration art and respond to our reflection question for the week. So we've got a lot to explore this idea of spirits and their relation to anxiety. And if you stick around in this very show, we're going to get to talk about spirits and Swedenborg's experience with spirits for our Where Was Swedenborg and What Was He Up To This Week in History. So I hope you'll stick around, Curtis, for that. How would I miss that? Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Chelsea. So here we are again, getting to... uh, Come to the desk of the New Century Edition, or yours at least. I know, of course, the NCE team is not just you, but you are representing (laughs) it right now. Um, And as the series editor for the New Century Edition. And so we've been having such delightful discussions these last few weeks around uh, the specifically the shorter works of 1763, which are now out. And you can get a copy, I'm almost certain. And dive in and enjoy the introduction which gives you all this history uh, as well as getting to explore the works themselves these four works that are in that volume um, and and so last week you were blowing my mind um, with the the fact that Swedenborg starts using sort of two different terms for for these kinds of works that he writes one I think was called the teachings if I'm right and that's right and then the other, the angelic wisdom, which, you know, almost sounds synonymous, you know, and uh, and so you have you're thinking that these are kind of two different publishing lines almost. And and of course, so they have different vocabulary. That's what we explored last week. And um, and so what I'm, I'm so uh, intrigued because this is a new subject for me. Well, I need to eat a little humble pie because the Latin term I used of tractatus, it was not right. Swedenborg does use that for his works, but it's transactio, a transaction, a a treatise, is the special term that he uses for angelic wisdom. I saw with some chagrin in the intervening week that I'd used the wrong term. I should have looked it up. (laughs) That's the best. Apologies are the best. Yeah, being, that, that's, making corrections. That's that's a part of being human. I love humble pie. It's a regular part of my diet. <laughs> really, really good for for regeneration. It is the the diet of regeneration. <laughs> I highly recommend it. So, part of what interested me about this was the idea of which blew my mind of that Swedenborg's talking to somewhat different audiences, or particularly focusing. Like he'd be happy if 
all kinds of people read these works, but he's kind of aiming them right. a little bit towards different parts of the market and doing that at the same time. And that led me to sort of a question. The first question that arose in my mind was since he mentions nine works in that preface to the work The Lord, where he lays out, here are nine works I'm going to do. Yes. Four of them are called teachings. Four of them are called angelic wisdom. But there's one in between the two sets, yeah. which was supplements. There were two supplements in supplements, actually. And <laughs> Supplemented one supplement? Is a supplement uh, to Last Judgment, his 1758 work, and another one is a supplement to Heaven and Hell. But, uh-huh. so, well, wait a minute. It's not labeled angelic wisdom or teachings, so I started to play this game of, like, which pile does it belong in? <laughs> yeah. And it seemed to me that especially since it talks about the judgment of Christian ministers in the other world, um, you know, to, uh, that it seems like it was more aimed at the clergy. You know, I tentatively put that in the clergy pile. Sure. And then I found very interesting confirmation of that that when Swedenborg sent these works out for review, he sent Divine Love and Wisdom and Divine Providence to different people than he did the uh, four teachings, the Lord, Sacred Scripture, Life and Faith, and Supplements. And Supplements was uh, over there. Supplements was in the clergy pile, and there was one particular clergy person, Johann August Ernesti in uh, Germany, who wrote Hmm. a review of these works and when I was contemplating, were these really written for the clergy? Would clergy people at that time have thought so? Yes. Ernesti helped me out by saying <laughs> the following. This is a translation of his German review. Okay. But he says, he accuses us of teaching a faith without love, blames <laughs> us for teaching that good works do not bring salvation, and generally condemns the teaching that the understanding must be subjected to the obedience to faith. So wow. He, he uses the clergy, yes. <laughs> you know, like he's definitely taking that personally as a clergy person that he feels like he's the target of this work. So so that was uh, a cool little piece of evidence. Wow. Then I started to wonder, well, did he keep that up? I mean, part of the mystery, as we talked about last time or the time before, is that two of the projected works on angelic wisdom never came to be. Right. You know, they they got discontinued, and it's just a very minor point, but he also flipped the order of divine love and wisdom and divine providence. He had always said that he would do divine providence first, mm. but then he did divine love and wisdom first and refers back to it many times in divine providence. And all that, in just the few months between when he started publishing, you know, in the fall of 1763, and he, and he finished in the spring of 64, in a couple of months, he changed the lineup and removed a couple of works. Hmm. So it made me wonder, of the published theological works that remained, and now we're getting even more wildly speculative than usual, but can you put these works in different camps? Hmm. Well, it definitely seems like his 1766 work, Revelation Unveiled or Apocalypse Revealed, was for the clergy. I, I mean, it's got a whole section at the beginning on Catholic doctrine and Protestant doctrine it talks about the British bishops. There were special ads that were made for the work. You know, it definitely continues in that highly biblical vein. Right. It's one of the bible ones. Yep. That's right. And then survey, or what has been traditionally called a brief exposition, 
also does the same thing, sort of set them up and knock them down. Here's existing <laughs> theology. We're going to talk about this a little bit, you know. Right, really so wrestling the, with the Christian doctrine. Exactly. So those are, are clearly in the clergy camp. Well, what about the only other ones are marriage love and soul-body interaction? Well, soul-body interaction definitely seems like it's more on the philosophical, angelic wisdom-y side. It's not called that, but it's very much from a different kind of argumentation and in Swedenborg's wheelhouse of philosophy Yes. more than in the biblical exegesis mode. Uh, so that one you could put in that right-hand column. I don't know why it matters, but I just— I got really interested in this question of audience. Right. Well, I mean, and, it, so it is similar where I was exploring the signs of a spiritual awakening if, that I talked about in this previous segment. And, you know, to see, well, are there categories here that I'm not, you know, you kind of have to look between the lines and do some speculation because you might find something, you know. Yeah, it, it's fun. And, and I think we are allowed to do this exploration and consideration to try to understand what what's going on with these books. So there are a couple of references about marriage in uh, Revelation Unveiled 434, subsection 1, Swedenborg refers to a projected work that he's going to publish, hmm. and the title is, drumroll please, <laughs> Angelic Wisdom About Marriage. Wow! <laughs> Look at that. Now, he didn't keep that in the final title, and there's also a letter that he writes to Gabriel Beyer, who was one of the early followers of these teachings. And there he says he's going to write a work on marriage, and it's titled Secrets of Angelic Wisdom Concerning Marriage Love. <laughs> <laughs> he's combining his categories. No. <laughs> so you're even getting the secrets of heaven, you know, yes, like right. we're throwing everything in there. Right. And so as it turned out, it does talk about um, uh, you know, the idea of, of wisdom versus insanity in that final title of Marriage Love. But uh, I think there's some affinity, and that would be interesting, wouldn't it? A little less biblical, a little more about a philosophical category. Yeah. Famously, when he was trying to import the work, uh, and this might have just been for political reasons, but he referred to it as a book not of theology, but a, but a moral work. So, yeah, right. Like to even say this is not a book of theology, you know, is kind of to say this isn't one of my clergy books. This isn't one of the, I'm not talking to you, right. Ernesti, you know, or something. Yeah, the clergy doesn't need to block this book. Yeah, it's about something it else. Yeah, don't take it personally. Right. Or so, I mean, right, of course. Right, right. I think, yeah. that, I think that's, that's really interesting. And then in True Christianity, which is, is his last published theological work. Yeah. And quite a mighty thing it is with its 14 chapters. It's interesting that he imports the the entire work of sacred scripture from 1763. He just plugs in as chapter four or whatever. Yeah, really? You know, just, yeah. here you go. Here's sacred scripture. And he has a chapter on faith. And it covers a lot of the same clergy material. But the beginning of the book takes a lot of stuff from divine love and wisdom yeah. which was one of the angelic wisdom works. But this time, it's expressed in terms of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's full of these biblical passages. So huh. I almost see the two lines kind of merging in that final book uh, th that he published. You know, you and you have a lot of analogies, which are more for, you know, he even says this is for, you know, regular or uneducated 
folk or, or, or whatever. Right. You know, he's appealing to different audiences. He changed the title of the work at the last minute oh, right. from what would have been a more theological title mm. of the universal theology of the new church to True Christianity, right. which was the title of another work by Johann Arndt that was read by everybody at the dinner table in Sweden and Germany and elsewhere in, in Europe. Uh, Titling matters. We know work. that at Off the Left Eye. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he changed it in the last week before publication. He had to go back and, as far as we can tell, get rid of the first signature and change the title and so on. Hmm. And there's maybe I'll talk another time about how we arrived at, you know, how, how we know that that title changed at the last minute. Right. Oh, that would be interesting. Yep. So I just see these two, if there are two publishing lines, which yeah. is very speculative. We don't have a letter from him. He, he, he didn't say anything about it. But just looking at the amount of Bible quoting, the nature of the content, the kind of terminology and vocabulary for God and so on, I, I do think there's some case for the fact that he's talking to different groups. He always cross-references to the other material. Yes. So you have a way to find your way back into the rest of it. But they're gateways. Yeah. And I find that really interesting. And uh, Dr. Friedemann Stengel, uh, a work that the Swedenborg Foundation is going to publish at some point in translation, a German scholar has done a study of how German uh, ministers in 1770 to 1790 were very affected by by Swedenborg's works. I mean, he he scored major points with them. So yes. that's interesting too, yeah. a story that's not well known. Well, that's what, that's, it's like, yeah, you could sort of take this thread that you found, you know, the, the redness on the goat's horn and start to sort of see how that influence spreads out, even just based on which works are getting translated into different languages, who's reading them, you know, that's, that's just very interesting. I lo- love it when you know, a piece of research brings more questions than you had before. <laughs> you know? That's right. That's always a good sign. And I was so surprised because in, in, in my lifetime, Divine Love and Wisdom, Divine Providence are some of the most popular, successful books that Swedenborg wrote just behind Heaven and Hell. Yeah. And yet in his time period, uh, the four sets of teachings, the four doctrines and supplements were much more reviewed uh, Divine Love and Wisdom and Divine Providence didn't make a, a really big splash at the huh, time. Yeah. Uh, but the other ones were much reviewed and talk about, talked about. It was a very theological age. And, and um, so it just it, – it's almost for different time periods, you know. Right. Have their favorites. Exactly. Well, that is so fascinating. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for that little dip into your research and, and – speculations, as you said, about this stuff, but it's really interesting to think about. I'm very happy to have an opportunity to talk about it because some of this is so speculative we couldn't put it in the introduction. Right. <laughs> There's sort of the just the beginning of it, the tip of the iceberg, but but uh, the other was so speculative. It, I mean, we have something in one note about the title of right. Marriage Love. You know, that's about it. Well, you know, we, we make it a point to store a lot of salt here inside Off the Left Eye. Um, <laughs> so there's there's plenty of that to go around <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> and so, Jonathan, will you stick around now with your salt in hand and join me for where Swedenborg was and what he was up to this week in history? It would be still more fun. Okay, Curtis, Jonathan, are you there? Yes, here. We're here. We made it. All right. This is very exciting. We're going, we are now in 1745. Oh. Okay. August 1745. And Swedenborg, as we know, 
uh, is had been actually we don't know this. I'm telling you this that he was in, now you know <laughs> he had been in London and he travels to Stockholm in August in June 1744. So about a year before the week that we're talking about now was when he had that incident with the fly. You might remember. Yep. And that right. That was his first wakeful spiritual experience where he saw this fly and he thought that's not a physical fly I could swat you know there that that's a spiritual um, representation and then uh, you know something we might actually talk about in a future segment is a few months later basically between that that summer and this next summer was a big year for Swedenborg in terms of um, this growing spiritual awareness um, and and spiritual awakening that he was having and and one of the things is that by the summer of 1745, it's not just a fly anymore. He's gotten totally accustomed to the wakeful experience of just daily, nonstop um, spiritual conversation and like the accompaniment that he has of sp- angels and spirits around him and his continuous speech with them, as he calls it. Um, and so, right. in, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And that started... Uh, as far as we can tell from his um, Journal of Spiritual Experiences, in mid-April, he's quite specific about it, mid-April of 1745 when he was in London. Yes. There was like a, a, a watershed moment when it became continuous, right? And that was that April time. That's right. And uh, before that, he'd had lots of spiritual experiences that he describes and was surprised that he didn't catch on to what was going on, <laughs> which we talked about in an episode earlier about 10 Signs of Spiritual Awakening, I think it's called. Right. But a- another factor that comes in that I always forget here is that Swedenborg actually had the experience for some time that he could see how spirits were engaged with all of his movements, all of his words. You know, it, it was like... He was not himself anymore in one sense. Yeah. You know, he, he was under new management. He could see the mechanism of how, oh, and so he's watching himself saying this and he's watching himself doing this and walking here and so on. A very strange state that he entered. And that right. seems to have started also in mid-April 1745. And, and this so is that's, what, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, this is what made Swedenborg Swedenborg. You know, a lot of people have had spiritual experiences, but this entering into a state of full wakefulness, the perpetual uh, daytime interaction with the spiritual world all the time, every day consistently is what allowed him to bring back such precious insights. And that framework you and I were talking about, Chelsea, this is how it was able to be built because you could sit there and labor at it day after day after day. Yes. And I was... and. So in our, I'm remembering in our um, episode on the six spiritual powers of the Lord's Prayer, I think it was called, um, I remember in the intro talking about this experience of like, here's Swedenborg, and it's like a fish waking up to the consciousness of the water that it swims in, only that the water, you know, has, can talk to him and has a will, you know, or like, it's like just this huge (laughs) thing where Swedenborg is like, this whole new level of existence is opening up to his consciousness and it's like whoa these things are entities you know there's this there's this whole like 
he him the scientist is being presented with just this all this new data of like wow these spirits are trying to control like they are trying to control the way i move or they can flow into my consciousness in this way or they affect my body in this way you know all of that all this new information which is just so fascinating to imagine him just being hit by that like a bus you know <laughs> and it seems to have changed his approach because he was in the course of publishing three parts of what's called in English the worship and love of God and he had published one part in October 1744 I think and then another part in February of 1745 and he started writing he even started making page proofs for part three right but just dropped it like a hot potato so I I think something about this change in consciousness made him realize no that that's not what we're doing we're doing something else wow and for this whole time, he's been in England, in London, right? And just sort of like on his own, having these intense uh, spiritual experiences. Um, and so at this point, he's traveling back to Stockholm and in, in August. And uh, so here's the punchline for this week, is that for that experience in his trip, from London to Stockholm that August in 1745, he writes down that he experienced that, like suddenly the radio just turned off. He had this spiritual blindness all of a sudden. That's right. And the nature of the trip, which I think we talked about in a prior episode, was that to sail from London to Stockholm, which was the only means of travel, and there wasn't engines or anything for you, you were relying on the wind and the tide. They had to go east and then north and then east and then south and then east and then north and then west. And that's just approximately what they had to do. So it would take an entire month. I don't know how long that wow. plane flight is. It's probably an hour and a half or something. But it would take a whole month because you'd have to wait for the right tide and the right, um, uh, you know, the, the wind's coming from the right direction. But then... So fine, you've got an east wind, but now you need to go north, so you have to wait for that wind and the tide to be right. So you there was a lot really of downtime. Think about Thanksgiving and is it worth it <laughs> <That's> <laughs> to right. go visit your relatives? <laughs> and he often would sail in the summer because that was sort of the best time. Like not so bad. You're probably not going to run into a storm like you would in the winter. So wow, and so. It's just amazing. So he he's describing this, um, you know, one one reference is in his work, Spiritual Experiences, and in this in the uh, Odner Nemitz translation, it's number 8A, but it's actually, it's one of these confusing things where, again, he was working on this work called The Word Explained, but then chronicling his spiritual experiences at the same time, which have then been sort of excerpted out of that work and published on their own. Um, as spiritual experiences and that's right here's what he says i don't think it's too long that i can't i'll just read it but so he says there are a great many people who say to themselves that they could not believe such claims unless they themselves were allowed to enter heaven and then see the things that exist there or speak with the dead who have risen again well i am able to testify that for a period of eight months now by the pure mercy and grace of the messiah i have been associating with those who are in heaven just as i do with acquaintances here on earth this has gone on almost uninterruptedly, almost uninterruptedly, to the point of not only, uh, to the point not only of experiencing this, but also 
of being instructed by them by actual proofs and accompanying discussions so that it has been absolutely corroborated to me. For this reason, I wish to share these seemingly so miraculous experiences so as to strengthen belief in regard to me, one who has been in heaven for so long, while at the same time on earth among friends. Specifically, this lasted from April 1745 to the 29th of January, i.e. the 9th of February, 1746 new calendar, except for the one month that elapsed when I was on the journey to Sweden, arriving on the 19th of August old calendar, which... The 19th of August, old calendar means August 30th. That's why we're talking about this this week. Um, ah. There's so many interesting things in this number. Uh, one being, he's saying, "I've this has been going on for so many months. And it's like, oh, you just wait, Swedenborg. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the Try 30 like, years. Yeah. <laughs> and so interesting that it stopped. And it seems to have divided between two time periods just judging by the other things that he writes in that, uh, around that in the Odin Nemitz edition, mm. that for those three months in London, I gather that he wasn't seeing many friends. I think he was, he was writing, he was thinking about worship and love of God and what he was publishing. Not a very social time, I gather. Uh, because after he gets back, after this month-long journey, he gets back to Stockholm on August 30th, new style. Then he starts to see friends, and over and over again, he writes in his spiritual diary, I was so amazed that they couldn't tell the difference in me. Mm. Like, I'm completely different, hello. <laughs> and yet, and I, so it makes me think he was actually a little nervous about having social interactions with his friends, because they will surely, what happened to you? What happened in London? You're weird now. Mm. And it never, it, no, they never said it. it. Even though he felt like he was entirely under new management, his whole understanding of himself and his consciousness was entirely different. Mm. His friends, his best friends from childhood, couldn't tell any difference whatsoever. Interestingly, foreshadows the way of being he starts to advocate for. Because if you look at all the out there stuff in Swedenborg's writings in the world it describes and then you get down to the behavior it prescribes it's generally you know good good honest moral behavior towards people but it's a lot like the lives we lead it's just mm -hmm. the internal world and your motivations and what you believe when you're doing things has totally rearranged so as to right. optimize that that's so true it is an interesting hallmark of spiritual awakenings that people uh, have that kind of experience of like I'm the same on the outside, but nobody can tell how different I feel on the inside. And so it can be a little bit disorienting, um, you know, right. the, to, to have this, to have that. So it's really interesting to get to see that in Swedenborg's own experience. And I don't know if this is a tangent, but uh, when we were doing a show about 10 Signs of Spiritual Awakenings, we focused on spiritual experiences 2951. And I was remembering this morning that at the end of that, he says something interesting he talks about all these symptoms that he should have known were signs of this interaction with spirits, but mm. he didn't get it. Mm. And then at the end of that passage, he says, I realized at a certain point that after some months, which is interesting to me, mm -hmm. after some months when I spoke with spirits, that if I were let back into my original state, I could have fallen into the opinion that they had been fantasies. Yes. So he doesn't say it as that it actually happened to him, 
But I wonder if while he was sailing back and in presumably a more sort of worldly state, not connected with heaven, whether he just thought, I don't know what those weird three months were yeah. in London. <laughs> London's a strange place, you know. Again, that's integrated with the worldview that he ends up putting out. He talks a lot about how miracles or miraculous events can't change your mind, actually. That you're, yes. if, you, if your love doesn't come along with it, if what you m- motivates you doesn't change, you'll eventually reject all that stuff. So even if Swedenborg had all these spiritual experiences, if you just go back and live the previous life, you find a way to discount them. Oh, it's so interesting. It, yep. It's like the spirits who um, are, are told, you know, if they firmly believe there is no life after death, after they die, they're told they died and they're in the afterlife and they just forget. Yes. <laughs> because there's no folder in their brain for it. Like, I don't know what that was all about. <laughs> and they just forget about it. Right. Which yeah. is, seems like this weird quirk. But the take home that it becomes very, uh, you know, personal is, look, what we've got to do is, is work on what we love and what, we, what, we, uh, what motivates us to, to do what we do. And that the, the concepts we have are only a tool to that. So if you rack up a bunch of concepts, but you're not applying those... It's in the end, it's not going to do anything. Yeah. And Swedenborg himself experienced that freedom, you know, so to be able to have this experience and be like, well, what what are the choices I'm going to make and which way am I going to go in my life? So it's it's so cool to see that playing out uh, in the history like this. So thank you so much, Curtis and Jonathan. It is always great to talk to you both. That was fun. Great fun. This has been a great uh, exploration into where Swedenborg was and what he was up to this week in history. And I hope you all join us next week. I'm Chelsea Odner, and we'll be here with you inside Off Left Eye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. You can subscribe to Inside Off the Left Eye wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can explore all our content and resources at our website, offtheleftye.com. To become part of the core group of people who sustain what we do here at Off the Left Eye, go to otle.causevox.com to support our work with a donation. Now's a great time to give, because from now until the end of September, all donations will go twice as far thanks to a generous $10,000 matching gift we've received. But there are other ways to give too. It's like showering us in gold and diamonds to rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And having you there listening is a real form of support in itself. So I mean it when I say thank you for listening.